When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Never give up. You are a nice guy to the max. You are a nice man in me at last. You are a good friend of mine in the mix. You are on my side at last. Frank Murphy. Frank Murphy. Frank Murphy. Frank Murphy. You are a working class dog. You are a producer for the Kevin and Bean Show. You work hard at 106.7 K-Rock. You are a working class man. Frank Murphy, Frank Murphy, Frank Murphy, Frank Murphy. You are my friend to the end. You are my buddy to the max. You are my great man in the long run. I like you fairly well. Frank Murphy, Frank Murphy, Frank Murphy, Frank Murphy. Rock over London, rock over Los Angeles, Mudbrookers. It's the world's greatest hamburger. You know, the other famous bit that I like to remember from my K-Rock days is the... Uh, this quote unquote stalking of Rick D's where oh so mad. <laughs> go on. Wait, well, wait, hold on. I actually pulled that clip. Oh, did you? Would you like to hear it? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I I was gonna pull the bleed and receipt clip, and I, I I know that that's been talked about a lot, but I was pulled this one because you talked about the Rick D's feud. Okay. Well, let's all let's all gather around the fireplace and listen. I got here at 10 minutes to 5, man. 10 till 5. What's the house look like from oh, the outside? Oh, man. You talking about a mansion partner? Really? An estate? Yeah. Yeah, maybe we better do a You Rich Bastard today. <laughs> <laughs> Our new bit that we didn't have time for yesterday. Now, Michael, do you see a car in Rick D's driveway? No car. Oh, like he doesn't have a 10-car garage. Oh, that's... Does he have a big garage? I got a big garage. Yeah. How big a house does it look like? Four, okay. four bedroom, five bedroom? Uh, at least about six, seven. Any uh, lights on inside the house? No lights on. No, I see that. That takes me off. Well, we his already, alarm doesn't go off till 545. We already, had, we already <laughs> had to get up and get here, and Rick Dees is still sleeping like a baby. I don't think uh, Pamela Anderson comes in and gives him a full body massage to get him out of bed until 6 o'clock. <laughs> I think it's one of those deals. So he's got tape ready to run at Kiss FM. What we're going to do is we're going to have Michael the maintenance man stay outside of Rick Dees' house until he leaves so that we can find out exactly what time he leaves. and we can Hello, know- this is Rick Dees in the morning from 102.7 Kiss FM. Now, the second Rick Dees pulls out of his driveway, we want you to follow him with the bullhorn. Okay. Rick, seriously, we got to get to work at 5.30. Go ahead and get to work at 6 when your show starts. Yeah. I'm right behind you. All right, now, when you pull up to a stoplight, we're going to need the bullhorn action. Okay. All right. Hey, what? Uh, right now, partner. All right. <laughs> uh, attention, Rick Dees. Attention, Rick Dees. This is Michael, the maintenance man from the world-famous K-Rock. This is Michael, the maintenance man from the world-famous K-Rock. Bet you had a really good night's sleep. 
<laughs> Certainly plenty of it. Hey, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. What's up? Are you guys moving again? Yeah, we're starting the corner. All right. Oh, he jumped on the freeway now. All right. I got I, I to call us about 80, man. 80. Follow him, man. Don't let him lose you. Hey, when you wake up late for work every day, you just get in the mood. <laughs> Somebody called him. Uh, we do know that his producer, Johnny Vega, listens to our show, man. so he probably went, he probably called and said, Rick, you're going to need to get here on time today. Hey, partner, he ran the red light on me, man. He ran a red light on wow. you. All right, he knows you're behind you. So not only a lazy bastard, but apparently no <laughs> respect for the law. Apparently he's Rick Dees. He doesn't have to stop at red lights like the rest of us. I don't think California state statutes apply. Now, how close are you to uh, KISS? About four blocks away. Four blocks away. Somebody already screwed it up. He may get there on time this morning. Hey, uh, how close are you now? Oh, uh, man, hey, I'm right from the building, but... Hey, the parking structure gate already even closed, man. Yeah, see, that's the thing. It's one of those uh, security gate deals. Yeah. Did he already go in? Yeah, he, he's in now. So he's in. Damn. All right. Well, it's 555. He made it to today. Yeah. But just because his bastard producer called him, <laughs> you know that's <laughs> very... And I, and I guarantee he was in a sound sleep. He's probably still wearing his Snoopy PJs. <laughs> well, Mikey, let me just say this. An outstanding job, job, as well usual. well done for Michael, the maintenance man. Yeah. You're on the case. Yeah. So there it is. Michael, the maintenance man, stalking Rick D's. I had not heard that, I don't think, since the day it happened. I think that's the first time I've heard it since then. Wow. wow. And, it, you know, parts of it, um, I guess, uh, maybe I had remembered it a little differently, but then I realized what happened there. This, it's edited two segments um, because we had, when Michael was sitting outside Rick's house, all was quiet, but he got the call from, I actually thought it was Paul Joseph at that point. I thought Johnny might have moved on to another job, but it doesn't matter. Um somebody on Rick's staff obviously woke him up and Rick comes flying out of the house and drives away. And then in the next segment you hear where Michael's chasing him with the bullhorn and Michael was making jokes about, I'm not going to run a red light in Hollywood because <laughs> I know black man driving a Mercedes. He's not gonna, definitely not going to run a red light at 545. <laughs> so, and then Rick gets in there and at six o'clock comes on the air. And I remember hearing this mm, Rick D's kiss FM. And I'm live. Don't believe anything you hear elsewhere. I am live on the radio. Rick D's in the morning. <laughs> and we thought we were done. And I, and I, I need to go back and tell you the origin of the bit, but I'll finish it. I'll tell you this part first. Um, we thought the bit was over. That's it. We lost It's six Oh one. And our whole morning bit has is done for the day. But Rick then managed to, um, you know, as they say, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory by sending out a press release saying that he was the victim of celebrity stalking. And if he hadn't done that, this would have been over at 6.01. It would have been forgotten. And we would have, could have told anybody all day that we were, had you know, tried to prove Rick Dees was fake. And they're like, well, but you didn't. <laughs> yeah. You, you failed at, at proving that. And um, so then all these TV shows start talking about it. Sam Rubin is reading the press release. The evil Kevin and Bean are hurting poor Rick Dees by stalking him and endangering his family. And Rick would say, well, I was so terrified for my family that you left the house and left them left. alone <laughs> with the stalker. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Of course. So Rick's story didn't hold up. And Kevin and Bean uh, were able to point that out on all these different uh, news shows in L.A. Um, and it ended up helping the Kevin and Bean show at that point. You know, this is my I've only been there a few months, right? I've just gotten there in over the summer or in the fall, early fall. And this is the, I'm one of the very first things I did there. And my wife is terrified that I'm going to get fired now from this new job, but the ratings came out and we ended up, it was the highest Kevin Amin had ever had to that point. Of course they went on to obviously huge success later, but all of a sudden they're on the map. You know, they've gone from being nobodies to like, Oh, let's listen to these guys. Cause they had done the burial of the balls over the summer and then this was the follow-up to that was the let's prove Rick D's is not live, which mm -hmm. it sounds so crazy in the year 2022. Nobody's live. We all voice track mm -hmm. and record our shows. 
But at the time, it was somewhat scandalous. And I'll go back, if you go back in time, about a year or so. Imagine me still at Power 106, still working with Jay Thomas. And, you know, we all of us who actually got into work in the, at 5.30, we'd, for between 5 and 5.30, you'd listen to Rick D's obviously canned. Like, mm, how about those Dodgers? They played a game last night. How did they do, coach? You know, and then he'd, he'd say, uh, well, the Dodgers won, Rick, or the Dodgers lost, Rick. But Rick would never comment on whether the Dodgers had won or lost because he wasn't there. It was the, everyone else was talking around it. And mm-hmm. then I started talking to other friends in the business and like, oh, you wouldn't believe it. There's three tapes. There's three carts, the cart tapes uh, that are always nearby that are in case of earthquake. And it's it's a strong, medium and mild earthquakes. So that if there's an earthquake, they just pull the right one and go, mm, that was an earthquake. Did you feel that, Paul? Oh, Ellen K. <laughs> tell us about that earthquake. That's so amazing. Yeah, so they had wow. all these different contingencies, these brilliant, they, all this effort went into the, the illusion of Rick D's, right? Yeah. So, so we were just pissed about it, you know, like, oh man, you know, I think we can't, we can't, no one will give us that kind of support. We don't have that kind of staff. We don't have all that. Blah, 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 blah. So we were going to pull the curtain back and reveal. All right. So I get, I get wind of all this when my boss at Power 106 tells me, you know what we should do? We should have Jay Thomas broadcast live from outside Kiss FM starting at 5.30, saying, I'm standing outside Kiss FM and Rick Dees isn't here yet. Sure, he's supposed to be on the air, but we're going to stay here until 7.30 when he normally comes in. And we were going to do it as a bit with Jay Thomas on Power. So we go and we pitch this idea to Jay. All right, Jay, here's the idea. We're going to have you live from Hollywood and Vine outside Kiss FM, pointing out the fact that Rick Dees isn't there waiting for Rick to show up for work. And Jay Thomas says, that's a terrible idea. Why would I do that to a fellow broadcaster? which doesn't seem to out of character for Jay Thomas until we realized that um, he then started recording his part, first part of his show <laughs> and coming in later. Right. And that's ultimately <laughs> why Jay got fired is because the management found out that's what he was doing. Uh, and they, it was a breach of contract and they found something, some loophole in the contract they were able to get him. So now, and then I'm Jay's Jay's gone. I go through these other couple of shows and the time comes for me to go to Kevin and Bean. And they're like, what are we going to do with the after burial of the balls? I said, well, let me tell you this idea. Rick Dees is fake. Rick Dees is pre-recorded up until at the time he was coming in around 720. Um, and like I said, now that's normal. But the, back then it was seemed scandalous. And we'll prove that. But we'll go in front of Kiss FM. And like, well, that's not really our bit. We need to modify it to make it more like a Kevin and Bean bit. We always send Michael, the maintenance man, to celebrities' houses, not to their workplace. So can we get send him to Rick D's house? I'm like, well, I don't know where Rick D's lives. So that's now on me. I have to research and figure out where does Rick D's live. So I had a contact who knew how to access the real estate records. And we look up and I find, <laughs> you know, and he, I said, I need a favor. And he should check, search the real estate records for uh, the tax records, whatever it is, for Rick D's. And he's like, well, I got one. It's uh, and the address made sense to me because it was in a rich neighborhood in Toluca Lake. And I drive over there and it's all these cute, adorable houses like, oh, I could live there. I could yes. live there. And then there's this one hideously ugly, ornate marble and gold mansion. I'm like, oh, <laughs> let me guess. And I look at the address and sure enough, <laughs> there it is. The one house that stands out from all the rest in this little quaint little neighborhood. And um, and then so we go through with the bit, proceed with the bit and we say, look, as much as we think we want to poke fun at Rick D's, we're not going to do anything 
to reveal his address. We're not going to say where we're located. I said, Michael was under strict instructions. We're not going to say that we're in Toluca Lake. We're not going to say, in fact, we're not even going to, normally we would bring the K-Rock van. Normally Michael would be in the K-Rock van with the driver. As we're going to leave the K-Rock van at home, Michael, would you be willing as a special occasion, would you t- drive your personal vehicle, which is a nice Mercedes, to over to that neighborhood? Because I think you could park it there and it would blend in. It would not draw attention. This is me thinking. I just, I mean, yeah, I want to make fun of the fact that on, I want to make fun of Rick D's on the air, but I'd really still respect him personally for his success. You know, I don't want to endanger the man. I don't want to do what we had, what had just been done to Bean member yeah. at um, with what's his face, poor man. So yeah. we're aware of that stuff. We're like, we're, we're going to go to extra special precautions to protect Rick D's address, but we're still going to actually do the bit because we wanted him to think, oh, they really are on to me. And I, when he, when he leaves work, we can wave at him. He's like, oh, you know, it was more of a behind the scenes, you know, like the old days, you know, DJs used to send luggage to the new guys in town saying, here's your, here's this new set of luggage. You can pack up when it's time for you to leave. You know, you do all these kind of mind games with the competition. So um, the bit plays out like you heard where it fails and, you know, we, Michael chases as best he can Rick to kiss FM and it's over, but Rick then, um, puts out a press release that just didn't hold up that I'm, I'm a victim of celebrity stalking. I felt my family was in danger. So I left <laughs> <laughs> like he automatically knew he, clearly they're only after me. Why, they, why would they be interested in Julie D's? <laughs> <laughs> so then what happened after? Um, well, you know, Kevin Rick was still, um, I was mad about it for quite forever. I think I don't think he ever got over it. Uh, and I learned that, as I may have discussed on one of these other shows, I learned that when um, in 2005 or six, Emmis Broadcasting, which is the same company that I'd worked for years ago, hired Rick Dees to work at uh, 93.9, I think it was. It used to be a country station, whatever it was. They had hired Rick, D- Rick, mm, Rick Dees, and they wanted me to be his producer like I was for Jay Thomas. And I said, I don't know if that's a good idea, but I'll, you know, fly out to <laughs> I'll fly out to LA and from Knoxville and, um, and Rick was so nice and was such a gentleman, you know, he uh, picks me up at the hotel. He takes me to Lakeside country club for lunch and everything's going swimmingly until his son, Kevin D's shows up and it's, it's good cop, bad cop. And Kevin is quizzing me on this bit that I had done at this point, you know, what, 10 years earlier, how long yeah. ago did that been? 15 years earlier. And I said, look guys, I mean, I know you, I don't, I will stand by the bit. The bit was not about um, harming Rick D's or even harming Kiss FM. The bit was about attracting an audience that doesn't listen to Rick D's and doesn't listen to Kiss FM and wouldn't, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we were positioning ourselves as the, the anti D's and, you know, the, the whole concept is how can that be? How could such a person exist that doesn't love the D's who doesn't love the D's? <laughs> Well, uh, K-Rock listeners, that's who (laughs) (laughs) we're trying to appeal to them. (laughs) On on the cup of tea in the chat, Bean and Ali were talking about whether or not Rick Dees was a nice guy. And Ali's Ali's promoting the idea that he's really a nice guy. And we're still questioning that. uh, Well, you know what, though? You can, you know what they, in the old, this one of the business, one of the adages in show business is fake it till you make it. Um, and if Rick Dees was faking being a nice guy, he fakes it so consistently and so thoroughly that it gets to the point where that becomes the default position. And even if he's mm-hmm. at home, a bitter jerk, 
he turned he's a nice guy everywhere else. So I, I think it has to affect him. So I have to think, given my personal experience with him, and, and, and I met him once or twice before he came to Washington when we would run his Rick D's countdown show on the station in Washington. I met him uh-huh. and he was super pleasant. I have a picture made with him. Um, even that interview scenario I told you about in 2005, he was super nice. Um, I used to go to the same uh, dentist where he would go. I would get my teeth cleaned and they would talk about, oh, Rick D's was just here the other day and he was handing out hundred dollar bills. Anybody, you know, wow. he'd always have he'd walk around with cash in his pocket and he would dole out hundred dollar bills to people from mm, from kiss rick d's kiss fm and they would so maybe it's fake maybe he's buying their 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 loyalty mm-hmm. it works they love mm-hmm. rick d's because you know he would seem interested and seem to want to you know if he'd hear somebody's story he'd have a hundred dollars for him mm-hmm. and if you did a bit about how many people across LA got money from Rick D's unexpectedly, I mean, you could probably fill a whole year's worth of podcasts on that because that was part of his shtick was to position himself as being the nice guy. And that's why it was weird when he went on the air as I'm, you know, I'm I'm the victim of stalking and it didn't hold up because it was like, wait, wait, Rick, why would it doesn't, yeah. You know, why would Rick yeah. lie about this? This this is not the Rick D's. Why would Rick lie? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And even oh. the, the news saw through him because the news was asking him questions about um about him being live instead of him being stalked. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I mean it backfired. The old another adage in radio was the eagle never hunts the fly. And K-Rock at that time was definitely the fly, and Rick was definitely the eagle, and he should have just ignored it and you know, he stuck it to us really good when he said, I'm live at 6.01 a.m. And we were done. We were done with it. We're like, well, that's a fail. Not just scratch that off the list. Frank's an idiot for bringing us that suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Rick uh, managed to um, to turn that into a very famous and uh, successful bit for K-Rock. Nice. Yeah, Allie has the, the same impression you do that Rick's a nice guy. And she's yeah. trying to talk Bean into it. And well, I want this out there, Bean. I want you to have Rick D's on the podcast. Oh, so Frank, tell him how amazing would that be? Hmm. There you Rick go. D's. I don't know if he'd do it because, um, again, you know, Rick might be smarter than that now. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, why? What's in it for Rick to do that? But um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, it would be so fun. We it, should rebrand. We should ahead. rebrand our podcast to be a Rick D's podcast. Well, you could do you a know, spinoff. Just call yeah. him a. Yeah, we can cover old Rick D shows. Yeah. Play those great Willard Wiseman clips. Um, I was going to say your impersonation is pretty spot on. I feel like we could just have you as a character actor. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you could play Rick D, sure. Well, yeah, he's the best. I mean, I, I saw really Casey Kasem would be my number one go to uh, in terms mm. of my favorite DJ, but mm, Rick D's. And the funny thing about Rick, he's always said, Everyone I've ever talked to in radio would say, oh, Rick, so good to see you again. Mm, and your lovely wife, mm, what is her name again? And it was always the same <laughs> shtick, you know, because he wouldn't really remember that much about you. But he would play the app, the part, you know. So even if it's, I mean, like Bean used to talk about, you know, boobs, even fake ones are still look real. <laughs> they, <laughs> right? they look good. Um, so Rick, even if Rick is fake, he fakes it well and it doesn't matter. So you end up with the impression okay. that, so oh, I enjoyed my interaction with Rick D's regardless of whether he meant it or not. It doesn't matter because the other person 
thought, you know, came away feeling so good. So Rick Dees is the fake boobs of the radio world. I got you. Now, that sums it up. Now it makes sense. Silicon, you can call him the silicon, the silicon of radio. <laughs> or maybe saline. I don't know. He could go either way. So, yeah, that's uh, that's where I, I, I think I'd land on that one. Can I ask you about working for Mark and Brian? Was that when they had the feud with Howard Stern? I think it was past that. I think um, Mark and this was been 96 to 99. And... Uh, they were more worried about Kevin and Bean, frankly, at that point than they were about Howard, um, because Howard had already established dominance. And Mark and Brian were just trying to do at least the, the management the people who brought me in. were trying to look for some new blood and just do some things differently than Mark and Brian had done previously. So I yeah, still had some of the same tools at my disposal. You know, the uh, the Mark and Brian mobile. They like to go to uh, celebrity houses and broadcast live. But it was a completely different scenario because the celebrity knew we were coming. It was not a shock. You know, if we're going to John Travolta's house to jump in a swimming pool, that was every, it was all me. I had arranged everything was all planned out. Uh, we're going to Charlton Heston's house to talk to him about some book that he's written. It's Peter Falk's yeah. house. You know, these older stars a lot of times. Um, and some of the more fun things we did were. Like when uh, some a little more kind of edgy, not in, ter- not in terms of of content, but in terms of this could go bad on the air. We're going to take a risk here. We had Emeril Lagasse come in, and I thought it'd be funny to put him in the Mark and Brian mobile and take him to a regular type of restaurant. So it ended up being an IHOP, and have him go back and cook. So Emeril didn't know we were going to spring that on him. So we show up at an IHOP, and he's bamming the whatever the bacon and eggs back in the uh, in the IHOP, and we're giving away free food, and it was fun and. You know, when Julia Child, a lot of the cooking ones, I love that. Julia Child would come in to promote a cookbook and we'd do something silly with her or uh, Captain Kangaroo came in and uh, my wife helped figure out how to rig a laundry bag full of ping pong balls so that I could pull the string and drop a thousand ping pong balls on Captain Kangaroo's head live on the air. You know, so that's that's awesome. And then, yeah, we go to commercial. Why not? Yeah, exactly. We, we go to commercial break and now and Mark and Brian go outside to smoke. So I'm on the floor hurting up ping pong balls back into the box and under the console. And I turn and I bump and I didn't expect Captain Kangaroo to be down on his hands and knees helping me pick up the ping pong balls. Nice. Oh, nice. So I, I have upstairs an autographed ping pong ball. Oh, <laughs> that's so cool. Like, what a wonderfully gen- he loved it. It was so you know, to be surprised like that on a radio show, you don't expect, yeah. you know, he didn't, he didn't notice that we had these extra microphones pointed down, down at the table. What did he never been there before? He wouldn't know that these extra mics are there just to get the sound of ping pong balls bouncing, you know? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So some of those silly little things. Um, and one of the other, I remember when Mark and Brian had their 10th anniversary, I was brought in around the time of their 10 year anniversary. So we wanted to make a big production and get them their star on the Hollywood walk of fame. And, uh, we did a live, I had arranged for a live cut in with, I think it was Steve Edwards on channel 11 and uh, Rockapella is there to sing happy anniversary to Mark and Brian. They don't, it's there behind a, a in the next studio. So we pull up the shade and there's Rockapella with five microphones ready to sing on live television. And then I come wheeling in uh, the mail cart with this giant wrapped gift for Mark and Brian. And again, my wife, who was the prop master, I guess, had figured out a way to gift wrap this moving box that we had at our house in such a fashion that Gary Coleman could come to this, was able to come there and hop up onto the cart. And then I'll put the box over him and he tucks it in under him. And now I wheel it in, I'm wheeling in Gary Coleman in a box 
And Mark and Brian are unwrapping it from the other end, tearing the paper and breaking the seal on it and everything. And out pops Gary Coleman. And Brian nearly had a heart attack because he was so scared. <laughs> <laughs> so surprised. But it was, it was fun. That was a stupid, you know, it was like the, uh, all of a sudden it's more like a, you know, like a Johnny Carson type stupid show, you know, nothing controversial or edgy. It was just, but it was just fun and silly and, and dumb and things like that that we did. But that's what people like. <clears throat> I loved it. I, I, yeah. I mean, I got burned out doing it because it was so much, uh, you know, they wanted actually what, you know, I get burned out as a producer mostly is booking guests. And now you probably mm -hmm. had to go through this, just trying to find out when can Frank talk to us at a certain time <laughs> and certain day, you spend more time usually scheduling the guests and booking the guests, especially when you're going through layers of people, whether it's the book company yeah. or the publicist or the agent or whomever, then you actually get to talk to the person and that's just, it wears you out. You know, that's you'll, that'll burn out a producer is the idea of booking guests. And Mark and Brian got to the point where they didn't want to do, they wanted a guest every day at nine o'clock so that they could yeah. just relax and not do anything. Just talk, let the guests talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what about when somebody was coming on to promote a TV show or a movie or an album? Did the, did their managers or agents reach out to you guys or do you guys still have to reach out to them? Um, generally speaking, it's the guest who wants to be on more than it's the host who wants the guest. Because they'll okay. always say, oh, get Tom Cruise to come back. He had a good time the one time he was here. And you're like, yeah, sure. Uh, I'll, <laughs> we'll call over okay. to his management company and see if he just feels like coming in on his day off. Okay. That's not how it works. You know, <laughs> um, it, when we did John, the bit with John Travolta, it wasn't because John Travolta, we just picked him out of the blue. It's because his people called and said, hey, uh, you wanted to do some bit at the first day of summer. And that's the day that Face Off, or whatever it's called, with John Travolta and Nicolas Cage <laughs> comes out. You want to, we could use Travolta as the bit. I'm like, thank you. You know, I mentioned yes. with, uh, with Kevin and Bean, John Wayne Bobbitt was the celebrity, <laughs> and Adam Sandler were the celebrity judges of the Bleeda and Reseda. We didn't just pick them out of a hat. They were people who were be pitched to us as available that week to be interviewed on Kevin and Bean. And uh, then okay. I just have to persuade them and say, well, instead of coming to the studio, let's go to Reseda and have them involved in this much bigger bit that'd be better for everyone. Um, it was just coincidence. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, well, they had stuff to promote. So really, mm -hmm. but whoever it would have been, whoever the guests of the week were, uh, would have just tried to steer them into that time slot. Um, and the same thing with Mark and Brian, you know, all of the guests who come in generally, if, if they have a book, the book publishers are, understand the power of radio. So they're easy to get. Authors are easy to get, which is why if I want Emerald or, or Captain Kangaroo or any of these people, they, there's a book that has just come out. And I'm going through the publisher because that's just easy. And some mm -hmm. of them also had an interview maybe down the hall with Michael Jackson at KABC. Um, I think that's how we ended up with Jimmy Carter. I'm pretty sure Jimmy Carter was also went over next door to the AM side and came in. And, you know, a lot of those bigger, older names, Charlton Heston or whomever, would be mm -hmm. had a book out or a movie out. And it's harder on um, if, if somebody's trying to get on that publicity tour and try to initiate it and call. Uh, but you know, it's a mixture. I'd say it's a mixture. Half of it is people begging to be on with us. And the other half of it is me begging them to come on and be with on with us. And that's why, I mean, that's why it's fun. Yeah. They, when Mark and Brian would just sit back and um, you know, especially when, when some friend of the show would come on like Billy Bob Thornton or whomever, or a Dwight Yoakam, it's like, Oh, this is like a day off. It's like half day at school. Yeah. And in fact, I'll tell you a quick Billy Bob Thornton story is we had him on, the, the, the movie company had pitched me on the idea. You asked, how do we 
who, who decides who's going to be on. It's like, hey, we're doing an Oscar campaign for the Sling Blade movie that no one's heard of. And we really need some help. And we're trying to push it. And we think, you know, because Mark and Brian are Southern, maybe they can get behind this movie and push it because we know the people in the Academy listen. And some of that is, is unspoken, but that's what they mean. You can read between the lines. That's what the, that's, I'm boiling it down. That's what the pitch basically is, is we're doing a, an Oscar push for Sling Blade, which you interview this guy. So, of course, Mark and Brian hit it off with the guy immediately. He's delightful. And we decided to do a screening of Sling Blade, at, or the movie company set it up. We did an Ask Me Anything almost with Mark and Brian and Billy Bob and some other people sitting up at the front, probably Dwight Yoakam. Um, we did the screening and we did a Q&A after, and that really helped the Sling Blade go along. And we made Billy Bob promise that not if, but when he won his Oscar, that he'd come to um, KLOS and, and with it. He's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so then he gets nominated. And um, we, are, we would always come in early on, on nomination day and start the show at half an hour early, 530 instead of six. Um, and we see Billy Bob's nominated. And we, so we decide we're going to call Billy Bob and congratulate him. And we call his cell phone and he claims to have been asleep somewhere on a train and we broke the news to him and it made for great audio, whether he had a hint of it or not. Billy Bob said to this day, we'll give credit for Mark and Brian waking him up and telling him that he was an Oscar nominee. And I'll be damned if he didn't show up in his tuxedo at six o'clock the morning after the Oscars, but about partying all night and there's that Oscar with him. And it was exciting. So one day uh, during all of these other times where Billy Bob's coming into we said, I'm saying, when you come in at nine o'clock, I guess we'll do the interview. Um, but I can't have you come in any earlier because we got Carl Perkins coming in. It's like, what? Can I come in early? And he might even <laughs> call me. He might have even just heard that Carl Perkins was coming in and just called and asked if he could come on also. I'm like, why? Wow. Carl Perkins. So uh, Carl Perkins ended up uh, playing his guitar and singing a song and Billy Bob playing drums in the background. And that became a, a thing. We put it out on a CD with a bunch of other in-studio performances. So that's the kind of stuff you remember as being, wow, all of the other agony of working until, you know, from six in the morning until three, four, five in the afternoon becomes worth it because you get those memories of, mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about that Billy Bob Carl Perkins thing or any of that stuff in, in a long time. Thanks for reminding so when, me. When are you going to write a book? I, you know, I when agree. I got fired, when I first lost my job <laughs> at uh, here in Knoxville, I started and I've written um, several thousand words, 10,000 words, 20,000 words. Uh, and then I got other gigs that have kept me busy. So when I started the podcast, um, I ended up putting all my energy into that of trying to figure mm -hmm. out how to, how to do all the things. Cause it's not just an audio podcast. It's also a YouTube podcast. So it's video yeah. and audio. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of put the book aside and I, I saw my first number item. Number one on my to-do list, my, which I don't always get to is write another chapter. So, <laughs> you know, a lot of those stories that I told you today are in there, but there's a few that I mentioned that I probably should be in there. Like the Billy Bob Carl Perkins one. Well, yeah. Kevin's still working on his book too. Yes. Um, he interviewed me for it twice. <sighs> asked me questions about stuff. He asked me about the Blita in Reseda. And uh, I'm pretty sure. And then I told him about the Rick D story. He didn't really know. He kept talking about how he didn't realize there was so much more to it, you mm -hmm. know, because from their perspective, and this is totally makes sense to me, they're sitting in the room and they're talking on the air and they're focused on getting on the air. And yeah, people are calling in with suggestions. And then those of us in the other room are the ones who are weeding through all of that. We're saying, well, this one's a bad idea. We can't, this one's not going to pan out. This is, you, That's you, illegal. assembling yeah kind of just 
wheat from chaff how do you decide is this adam carolla is he legit yeah probably okay let's put him in that file is this other person not just some nut job um it's armenian comedian wants to get involved no forget it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah all, all of that business so kevin didn't realize about all of the moving parts behind the scenes because he has enough where he is you know he's busy enough uh running the board and doing all the things they have to do to main job Great. is to play you know play the commercials and and don't lose the license that all the moments stuff. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah coming up with those pearls of wisdom um so that's that, that was what came out of that conversation is how he was surprised that there's so much more involved in all of those things that are you know bits wow and that's that's the case of you know that's that's the the glory of it i mean I, or the or the shame of it either way i i described being a radio producer and remember i got burned out of it three times over uh, at all these different jobs um was you're like the the pin boy at the bowling alley all you ever you set up the pins for somebody else to knock down and and you always all and sometimes you think i wish i could i wish i could knock down some pins that'd be fun <laughs> i wish somebody would send them up for me and that's not right? the way it works yeah so edwin i understand you send a lot of audio clips to uh, bean for his various cavalcades of drops and things like that yeah i've been lucky that way I remember years ago, I had like 10 clips. I'm like, how can I get these to Bean? I put them on a CD, mm -hmm. mailed it to him. Nothing of nothing got on. And when email got more popular, yeah. I would email Kevin and Bean. Of course, never heard from Kevin. But Bean started playing my stuff, and it's a rush. Yeah, that's very I cool. I probably got like 200 clips, just dumb drops. Oh, yeah. I just... I'm a sound clip enthusiast, as Bean might say. So I, I'm not very sympathetic that way. I will send him some on occasion if I if it's too good to to miss. But um, you know, once in a while, I'll hear something that like I heard one about uh, a cup of tea or something like that. Uh, so I sent him to him from an old Family Affair episode recently. But hmm. I, I understand the rush, but I'm my volume is nothing compared to yours. <laughs> I, if well, you send a hundred, I've sent one. You know, or if you send oh. two or three, maybe total. Yeah, it's funny because it depends on what's going on at the time. Now yeah. that his show is called Cup of Tea, if I hear anything about tea, I think of it. Exactly. You know, if I would have heard Cup of Tea 20 years ago, I would have never have pulled that clip. Right. Actually, now that I, you think yeah. of it, now that you mentioned it, I think it was I heard Mr. French saying schedule, I think is why I sent it. Oh, he, he said, must have loved oh. that. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think we heard that one. That one yeah, he's, he's played it on, on the Cup of Tea a couple of times. So Mr. French talking about the go play in the, you know, go play for an hour. Uh, it's on this, according to the schedule. <laughs> yeah. I found one. It was from Mary Poppins. It was Edwin who I know being loved. Oh. It was Edwin and Mary Poppins saying schedule. I'm like, Holy cow. <laughs> Bean is going to love this. Oh, I love to I laugh. Predicted to these guys, <laughs> this is going on. Oh yeah. Well, he... oh, Edwin. I, I, I did a whole improv bit where I impersonated. Oh my Edwin. God. Nobody knew what I was doing. I just, I knew I had to play uh, it was a guessing game and I was the king and I had to, it's like party quirks, but I have to guess what everybody wants from the king. I did the whole thing in an Edwin voice and I just, I'm, I loved it so much. <laughs> I always used to wonder what are the Wake and Bakers, you know, listening to the K-Rock or the Chili Peppers. What do they think when Ralph is doing his Edwin impression? Oh my god! I have no idea who this is. It all, that would, it's like a double layer of a joke to me. Oh yeah, and like some of these old guys, like there was a guy named Frank Nelson who was probably oh, yeah, you, you probably Benny would show, remember sure. from Jack Benny, but uh, the younger generation, you ladies, might remember from the McDonald's commercials that he did in uh, the '90s. But basically, his old shtick on Jack Benny and I Love Lucy, anytime he would show up on a show, is he'd be at the counter with his back turned, 
and Lucy or Jack Benny or whomever would come try to come get help from him. And his whole bit was to turn around and go, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. A Frank Nelson reference. My day yes. is made. Yeah. All right. So here's another one obscured. Do you know, um, who's the guy who played the, um, in National Lampoon's Vacation, he had the, the toupee and the cigar. Um, William Hickey. William Hickey. Okay. So it's a Mark and Brian story, but we're doing the story of the Christmas Carol. And I think that year, Kevin Pollack was playing, I believe he was playing Scrooge or it doesn't matter. He's playing one of the ca- main characters. And I'm directing. So I'm up there and I'm pointing at the different voice actors that we have. And I've got the script and I'm doing all the, I'm, I'm literally conducting the show. And Kevin Pollack is relatively close to me because he's one of the main characters. And he st- comes on and speaks his first line. And he did his whole show as the, William Hickey. And I remember looking at him going, William Hickey? And he said, yes, you got it. <laughs> that was a pretty obscure impression. It probably still is. Probably still is to this day. You guys for it. You got it. Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> I love that stuff. Well, Ed Wynn was, his voice was in uh, Wreck-It Ralph, which is kind of recent. Oh, I really? guarantee he's no been, kids would know that. He was a candy dead, king. But he's been dead forever. I know. Oh my gosh. Wreck It Ralph wow. is pretty old. Old ish. Well, I mean, Ed, Edwin. Edwin. Yeah, Edwin died in the 60s. Yeah. Or late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, he died and didn't live that much longer past Mary Poppins. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question as the uh, Quitters Never Give Up official Tennessee correspondent, oh, Frank you. Murphy. Hello. Um, Skybridge, yay or nay? I say yay. Um, I liked it. Um, and I, I like heights, though. So I love all the stuff you do in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, that's up high in the mountains. So there's a few of these things where you'll ride a ski lift up the mountain. And for example, uh, you're talking about the Gatlinburg Sky Bridge. Sky Lift was the original of these attractions where you'd ride up the mountain and then you just be up there and nothing would happen. Well, four or five years ago, when fires burned down, much of Gatlinburg, that Skylift was destroyed. So they built a newer one that was twice as wide. You could accommodate more people and twice as big and stronger. And then they built this bridge that you're talking about that is a rope suspension bridge. I think it's the longest pedestrian suspension bridge in North America. And right in the middle of it, they have several panes of plexiglass. So you can stand over it and look straight down and see the ground below you. I think it's great. You know, I mean, if, yeah, if it's windy, they close it if it's too windy because they don't want, you know, the bridge swaying yeah. too much. Um, and then across town but, or in the next ridge over. So imagine if if this is on mountain here and then there's another mountain here and all of downtown Gatlinburg is in the middle. There's a place called Anakista where similarly you ride up on a ski lift and you walk around. There's beautiful gardens up there. And then they've built a five story tower on top of their highest point. So that is now the highest point in the city of Gatlinburg. So you hike up this tower and you're up there. But the cool thing about that is they're on the side of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. So when you look out on one side, you see all of downtown Gatlinburg. But you look out on the other side and there's nothing but park, national park, as far as you can see, and mountains and Mount LeConte. So yeah, I love all that, uh, all that stuff. And they also um, have a glass part where you can look down. But I mean, it's not that high. You're only five stories up off the, the ground. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, the one time I went there, they were having an event where there was a tight, there were tightrope walkers that were right below it. Oh and they my all gosh. had 
harnesses, but it nice. was so it was so anxiety inducing just watching them. And then they're like, oh, let's challenge them a little more. Like, why don't you guys put blindfolds on? And like, oh, sure. We're just like, what's happening right now? Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know how to describe Gatlinburg to those of you who haven't been there because it's it's I'd say, what's well, like Myrtle Beach? Have you ever been to Myrtle Beach? Except take <laughs> away the ocean and replace it with mountains. Um, you know, but there's that kind of touristy city of uh, Branson, Missouri comes to mind. Um, just that, you know, and that's what I've been doing with these travel vlogs for Frank and friends show is I made a deal with one of the local TV stations. They said, well, we got these guys who are trail hikers and they go in the park and they take pictures of the waterfalls and they, they map out the trails and we already have a, a trade deal with them where we promote their little photography service. I said, well, they, they can have it. Let them have all of the natural beauty of the national park. I'll take everything else that you, you know, people on their jazzy scooters are going mm -hmm. <laughs> to play laser tag or going to the theme park or going to zip line or mountain coaster or snow tube or moonshine tasting. It's all the cheesy touristy stuff. That's what I'm doing. So I've done more moonshine tasting. I've drank more on that show than I have in real life. You know, I mean, I go on this, you drink these little uh, communion cups, they call them of moonshine. And you get all these, you get 12, like, I don't even know how many, like 12 of them and say, yeah, try this one, try this one. <laughs> one after <laughs> the other, after the other, after the other. So we've done cider, uh, wine, beer, um, moonshine and moonshine and more moonshine. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's like, it's, it's candy. It tastes like candy. I love it. So is it kind of like a Huell Hauser show? I love Huelhauser. How did you know? How did you know uh, I love Huelhauser? Now, do you know? Everyone loves Huelhauser. Huelhauser. Huelhauser used to live here in Knoxville. He really? was yeah. the, the president of the student body at the University of Tennessee. He's from Middle Tennessee. I think Gallatin, maybe. And uh, then, you know, found his way in uh, television success working in Nashville and New York and Los Angeles, obviously. Um, but he was just a you know reporter, feature reporter, kind of one of those guys, you know, They'd give him five minutes, maybe at the end of the news, unless something big had happened, then his piece would get cut. So when he landed up on uh, California Gold and uh, all the other shows, I would watch and just think, I want to be that guy. That's I, I relate mm -hmm. to that guy. You know, when he's going to the tuna canning factory and he's telling Louie, well, you look at that, Louie, they cook it right in the can. <laughs> <laughs> or he goes to the avocado farm and he's like, look at that, Louie, it's an avocado eating dog. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> those And the milk and the uh, the eggnog and, and was it the dairy that put his picture on the milk bottle? Yeah. So um <laughs> I, I enjoy the Huelhauser and I, I wish mm -hmm. I've, tr I've tried, I've tried to pitch the PBS station here. So look, there was this guy in California, you see, but yeah. he was from Tennessee and he would go to California and he'd be like the fish out of water and he loved everything. All right. I'll mm -hmm. be the guy from California who's in Tennessee and I'll be the fish out of water and I'll love everything. Yeah. So we had pitched, you know, but the thing about the PBS shows, is if you have the money to fund it, if you have an underwriter, yeah, then you have a show. And if you don't have an underwriter, then you don't have a show. Right. <laughs> yeah. exactly. so I may still follow through with that idea but you'll you'll definitely notice and some of my friends have picked up on it there's definitely some Hauser moments in these uh travel vlogs that i do mm -hmm. i'm just walking around like this is one in particular that i'm thinking of where i'm interviewing this little 18 year old girl whose family runs an apple orchard and she knows everything about the apple business she's her whole life right 
but I'm throwing out these references that as an 18 year old, she has no idea what I'm talking about, but she's playing along and just loving it. She's saying, I'm just a kid. <laughs> I'm just a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who the Osmond brothers are. I don't know why you're referring to one bad apple. I'm like, why I'm over but that's kind of stuff where I'm just asking those Hulhauser questions like, Oh mm-hmm. wow. So the apples go in the hole. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a sorting machine for apples. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Have you heard Dana Gould's impression of Hauser? He does a killer one. Yes, but it's been a long time since I've heard it. So I need to look that up and, and listen to it again, because I remember thinking it was brutally funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. But I forgot about it because I have um, actually a friend of mine sent me the book that Louis, the photographer, wrote you know, about his time with Huell Hauser, because uh, my, my fandom of Huell is, uh, is known to my close friends. Huell um, Hauser and Frank Nelson. <clears throat> this oh, is a red letter day. Okay. <laughs> we have a lot of, we have a lot of like bingo card square moments here. <laughs> I think your, I think your whole bio was kind of like, uh, every sentence I read was another surprise. And even like, I know the FBI is not actually what, what you were part of, like the actual FBI, but even reading that, I was like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I guess part of my my improv background is you say yes and to everything. Yeah. And uh, in a situation here where, you know, I'll say my time in Knoxville, I've, I'll critically say that I maybe was underutilized at most of the jobs that I've had, you know, rather than, um, you know, the getting the big salary and being the main guy at these stations. I'm like, oh, okay, well, there's, and then there's old Frank. So they would leave me to my own devices. Like at this one station where I was the afternoon DJ and I was the only local DJ it was syndicated the rest, the rest of the time. They didn't check in on me. They wasn't meet. There weren't meetings. It was just like, Oh, Frank's got it covered. Just keep, keep doing what you're doing. So I had all this free time to go do every other thing. So I get invited to be uh, in the member of the FBI citizens Academy. So it's a class and they, they love media people and they love religious leaders and anybody else who's in a, a community organizer, anybody who can reach out to different groups. So media people, obviously, we've got a mouth on us. So that's how we categorize, how we fit in. But if you're maybe um, from a minority group, they definitely want a leader of that, whatever it is. It could be a religion. It could be a, um, it doesn't matter. You know, this, so there's all sorts of, it's an enormous array of people like here in, in East Tennessee, you don't think that we'd have a big Muslim community, but we have, we do. And, and I've met mul- several people because of this FBI connection. You know, I've gone to these dinners, these uh, Muslim friendship dinners and things like that. They're very lovely. And same thing with, you know, Jewish leaders and other cultural events. I've been involved in the Asian festival, for example. Um, so anyway, the FBI Citizens Academy, I go, I take the class and you learn the mission of the FBI that they're trying to get out to the community. And the idea is that they have built a bridge between a, someone who's involved in their aspect of the community. So if the FBI needs to contact you and say, Hey, the FBI. Yeah. Oh, Edwin. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If could you tell your people that, you know, we're, we're doing something in the community outreach, we're helping this in this area, blah, 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 blah. And vice versa, you know, so they've built this bridge and I got involved in it. And then I'm just one of those people where I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'll start coming to the after club, the alumni association, where you continue taking these classes about um, the things the FBI does. And because of my connection with Dr. Bass and the body farm at this point, I'm valuable to them. It's like, oh, why don't you have Dr. Bass come and speak at the FBI Citizens Academy? So all of a sudden I'm producing an event again where I need to find a free venue 
for Dr. And I need to get um, permission from HarperCollins Publishing so I can have this event outside of the actual tour. We'll do it the night before. Yeah, here's what we're going to do. Okay, I know that the book comes out on a Tuesday at midnight, but it's going to be like Harry Potter. See, we're going to have Dr. (laughs) Bass come to this funeral home because I've got this funeral home that's got its own crematory that we can go look at. And we're going to have a cupcake company is going to make these death by chocolate cupcakes. See, and we're going to have the members of the FBI Citizens Academy sitting in the funeral home. And Dr. Bass is going to give a speech about the new book. And then you're going to sell books to all these people and he's going to autograph them. That's what's going to happen. And they're like, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I ended up becoming president of the FBI Citizens Academy Alumni Association. And we're doing, you know, stuff like that all the time. Every month, it's another, another event, another thing. And I would do the interviews on my radio show and the public affairs show that runs at 630 in the morning. And they gave me an award for it. They gave me the uh, DCLA, the uh, FBI Director's Community Leadership Award for that. Which is, you know, each of the different FBI divisions picks one person per year. So you go to Washington and there's somebody from every FBI division in the country there to receive their award. And some of them are, you know, big time. Uh, they've started their own charity or, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is you did in your community. And some of the other people in my own community are much bigger names than, than me, but I was lucky to get it. So, yeah, that's why you see that. It's weird, you know, but I had two uncles who are in the FBI. So I had a kind of an interest in it, you know? So when um, I got the award, I called my uncle who was in Richmond, Virginia, said, Hey, I'm going to be up at headquarters for this award. He's like, I'll drive up. Absolutely. Congratulations. Wonderful. Yeah. That's really cool. <clears throat> so I have that in my trophy both- case over there. <laughs> I think both Christopher and Edwin were competing to see who would play that FBI drop first. <laughs> I want it noted. I got it first. <laughs> the FBI. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to interrupt the story. But every time you said FBI, I was just <laughs> ready. So you know, yes. the whole thing was a setup. Mentioning Edwin earlier, so you could get to the FBI later. I get it. Honestly, even when I was reading the story, I was hearing it in my head because I know Bean yeah. is so obsessed with that drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the many odd things that's happened to me since being here in Knoxville. Been involved in the Friends of Literacy and getting an award from them for a blog that I wrote for ten years. Um, that's but now they call me back and ask me to MC their event. Um, you know, another thing in the trophy case, you mentioned the Nutcracker and the ballet. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that, uh, a lot of stuff that even on the, on the website for the East Tennessee PBS Scholars Bowl, whoever wrote the bio for it referred to me as a beloved community philanthropist. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's a pretty good, you know, media label for my obituary, you know, and Bean mm-hmm. always obsesses over what people are called in their obituary. So if I can go with beloved community philanthropist, I'll take mm. it. Right. I don't think it's accurate, but Heck I'll take yes. That's <laughs> going. That's going in the intro. Oh, good. <laughs> as a West Coaster transplant to the East Coast, do you have experience in the shared emotional trauma of getting made fun of for putting the in front of all the freeway names? You know, I think the in front of the freeway names is smart. I like it. I'm in favor of it. Um, but I'm also really a New Yorker at heart. So I had to learn it when I was in LA and it made sense to me, you know, the 405, the 10, the Hollywood freeway. It makes the freeways have names and and numbers. So really what we're doing is we're taking the name of the Hollywood freeway and change and substituting the 101 or the 134, depending on what, you know, where, where you are. So it makes total sense to me. Um, and my family and I still refer to the interstates here in Knoxville as the freeway, even though that's not what anyone else would call them there. It'd be the the interstate. So we kind of get away with it that way. You call you take the interstate, Mm -hmm. 
but well, I don't, but you also say 40. You don't say I the 40. Well, Correct. it's funny because my sister lives in Colorado and it's the same thing. And I would say, take the 70 or whatever. But like, mm-hmm. Listen, I don't say I'm going to go walk dog. I was going to say, I'm going to go walk the dog. Like the article <laughs> belongs in front of it. What are you talking yes, about? Yes. So the first kind of funny. The first freeways were in California. We get yeah. to do that. We call yeah, that's how right? we, we yeah. established. I, I guess I've I've been here. I've been in Knoxville twenty two years now, almost coming up on twenty two years. And I guess I've dropped the the those and forgot about it. But <laughs> um, I certainly, if I if we were talking about Californians, um, I, yeah, that's one of the first things that comes to mind is is all of that. I liked it. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, a lot of things I miss about California. You know, they they Hardee's here open, had a got a carl's jr western bacon cheeseburger on the menu and i went and just ugh, it didn't it didn't taste the way i remembered it from carl's jr so it never <sighs> does from carl's jr <laughs> <laughs> well in the old days when i was first moved out there in the early 90s the western bacon cheeseburger was uh, it was good <laughs> they, they changed something because i do remember carl's jr being really good and i had it the other day and was like this is not oh, sure. But I mean, it's all a conglomerate like, you you know, now it's Hardy's and Carl's Jr. are the same <laughs> thing. And now they're homogenizing yeah. the two menus to make them the same. Eh, yeah, I know. And you have a few holdouts like, um, you know, In-N-Out Burger obviously is still, uh, I assume, the same as it was. And there's chains still. here in the south and the east that are, you know, still st- seem to be closer to the original vision. You know, like a waffle, you go to Waffle House or you go to some of these places that you can't get. Um, elsewhere beans jealous that i've got all these pancake restaurants and waffle houses near me (laughs) (laughs) cracker barrel are you a fan um yeah i like it okay i mean i figured out um yeah it's that's and that's not a special occasion you know we might go after church and there's a big long line to get in so it's kind of like you have to plan it on a day when uh when it's not going to be as crowded but it's fine cracker barrel's fine yeah i don't i you know what? Um, my wife and I wanted fried chicken the other day. So what we ended up doing was there's this gas station chicken called crispy, crunchy fried chicken that some high end uh, food bloggers have said is the best fried chicken in America. And I'll say it, it's darn good. But <laughs> she went to the, the gas station right near her work and they had they, they usually cut off at 4 p.m. Right. So yesterday, 5, 4 p.m. She goes in there just before and she's like, oh, no, no, you have to you have to be here at two o'clock. She's, but you sell chicken until four. <laughs> yeah, but you have to order it before two. And so she got so mad, but she had already had a taste for this now. So then she drove to the other side of town to the hood to go to get the fried chicken at another place that does it all around the clock. And it was worth it. I'm glad she did. Yeah. It's one of those oddities of the South. Yeah, my wife uh, it refuses gas station restaurants. If it's in a gas station, Diana's like, nope, she won't do it. But a flu, a food blogger says that the best tacos in L.A. are at a gas station. I believe we're in L.A. I believe it. I mean, there's also um, there's a, a convenience store chain called Casey's that is just buying its way into Knoxville. And supposedly they're famous for their pizza, you know, gas station pizza, which to me, I as a New Yorker, I wouldn't. I, I'm like, that's where I draw the line, please. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, I'm, I like New York style pizza. I don't, you know, the, that period, the end, you know, anything with too thick of a crust, I'm not interested. But um, yeah, so that's what these guys are known for at Casey's is, oh, we're famous for pizza and like crispy crunchy. It's not even a single, it's a, it's a crispy crunchy is just a little part of random independent convenience stores at gas stations. You know, there's no overriding yeah. theme. It's not, they're not always at a shell station or, or always at a BP mm. station. There's no connection. It's just, you happen to find a crispy crunchy at this place, but not that place. I've seen that out here in Southern California. Try it. Me too. 
Yeah. Okay, I'm going to try it next time. Yeah. See if I think from what I understand, I mean, it's just you know they buy the fresh chicken and the and the rest and the the proprietary spices that they inject it with to make it moist and that's that. You know, so I think I like it. I, don't know, I hope you like it. I just want to tell the honest from the gas station. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't tell. You don't have Bojangles there either. That's another fried chicken joint that we have um, here that my son-in-law, he, he won't even tell us. Just When they pull into town to come for a visit once or twice a year, they go to Bojangles first before they even come home here to grandma and grandpa's to get where we could feed them. <laughs> Maybe they just came to Bojangles and since yep. they were there, they stopped in on you. That's how it feels. <laughs> that is how it feels. <laughs> Okay. I can talk all day, by the way. Just so you have to cut me off. Please do. Please I, I do. Was, I was just about to say it's been two hours. Oh my gosh. How can you stand it? <laughs> Terrible. Well, it's, we're having a great time. But I, you know, you guys do your critique and, and have on, and I hope uh, you'll occasionally listen to the Frank and Friends show and tell me what you think. Um, I did actually. I was I was watching it on YouTube the other day, and oh, good. Um, the dark haired lady. I don't remember her name, but you Catherine. She, Catherine Frady. Yeah. Yes. And then it was um, you guys got into like I don't know what happens after a dog dies and just all sorts of really, really fun. And it's a fun listen. And it was a short listen, which is sometimes people go on like three hours on a podcast. And so I highly recommend five stars. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. She was talking about um, her dog. Well, she's talking about how she's an opera singer. Right. And Mm -hmm. here's the the whole basics of the story is she was rehearsing a scene where her character in the opera, Angelica by Puccini, dies Mm -hmm. on stage and how her dog, Sasha, would just sit there politely and watch her die in the living room as she rehearsed this scene. She's singing, and the dog would just sit there. I said, well, you know, in real life, the dog would eat your dead body. Because I've learned this from Dr. Bass, you know, yes. yeah. and I didn't I didn't want to gross her out on the show because uh, from what I understand from Dr. Bass, cats will go for your face and eyes first, where dogs will prefer the long bones to chew on the mm-hmm. marrow, dogs and canids. So wolves, yeah. bears, coyotes, dogs. So there you go. So that, know that, that if you leave your poor dog starving because you're yeah. dead, the dog will uh, do what nature uh, <laughs> follow the course of nature. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's, it's just a fun uh just random kind of bits of information yeah. not the same things that we're getting on all the tv well stuff, catherine so catherine great. is as i said an opera singer and she wants to learn how to be a host it's one of the things she's we talked about mm-hmm. in one of these episodes where she, i think maybe the next one she considers herself a portfolio artist where she does singing and acting and she mm-hmm. decided that she, she wanted to add hosting to her portfolio so i last summer um i was doing a bit with her um, before we were doing the show together, I was doing a bit with her about her production of Tosca in which she also does. Um, and it's also by Puccini. So what do you know? Uh, and my previous podcast partner had just ditched me and gone off to be an actress at the Hatfield and McCoy family feud in Kitchen <laughs> Forge. So she's ditched me and I don't have a show and the whole thing's falling apart. And Catherine Frady, the opera singer says to me, well, you know, my husband and I think we should do a show together. I'm like, well, your timing is impeccable. So let's do it. And I'll teach you how to be a host. So that's where kind of where we're at with it. And I'm teaching her some of the, you got to have a, you know, think about everything in your life as a show prep, as stories. So if your dog does something or you're reminded of something, write it down and don't tell me until we get to the show. And Mm -hmm. I'm kind of using that Regis and Kelly vibe, you know, save it for the show. Don't tell Mm -hmm. me until we're rolling. And that's kind of the vibe I'm going for is not so much Kevin Bean. It's more, you know, Regis and Kelly, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I hope it works. And then we'll, and we'll, 
people we've got some fans locally who are, are very kind and like it but we need to pick up a little more traction i got to get to a thousand subscribers on youtube so that i can earn pennies from youtube so please mm-hmm. even if you just subscribe to the youtube channel <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, youtube.com slash frank and friends show uh that'll help me and we're at almost 600 and if i can get to a thousand then uh, youtube they're already running ads on the show because we have enough videos that get enough views Oh, they're already running YouTube's already running ads on it, but they don't mm-hmm. pay the person unless you have a thousand subscribers and X number of hours, another some thousand hours of viewing. So mm-hmm. working on it. I believe you should right. have noticed a new subscriber as of uh, a couple days ago. Yeah, I did. We actually, I gained uh, five this week, and I know one of them is my dental hygienist because I made her do it while I. <laughs> And, and she did it right there while I had my mouth full. And uh, I also, yeah, thank you. So I, I appreciate all y'all for, uh, that's the Southern thing, all y'all. I appreciate all y'all <laughs> for uh, subscribing. Thank you. All, all right. right. I'll say all bye. Right. Can thank you very much. The show, please carry bye on. Bye. I need thank to you. leave. You're not going to hang up on me. I got to hang up on you, right? No, we're not. All right. We've never. <laughs> Keep up the work. <laughs> bye. Bye. It's uh, Kevin and Dean together. So we're going to talk to you alone first, Rick. First of all, <laughs> can you tell us about these allegations that you pre-taped your morning show i mean are they true or not no they are not true well i was uh, i was out there this morning got there to work early i mean that's the best i can tell you